It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. It's no happy accident that the Minnesota Vikings are 6-1. and one. I'm Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings today. I'm pulling a rabbit out of my hat. I'm Luke Braun of Locked On Sports. I think Arif Hassan of ProFootballNetwork.com is the best sports writer on the planet. Howdy, y'all. I'm Alec Lewis, the Athletic. Minnesota Vikings are 6-1. and one. Evan O'Connell, more power to him. Happy Halloween. It's the Minnesota football party. Endless Vikings talk for the next hour. Let's get into it. Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota football party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota football party. And it starts now. Welcome into the Minnesota football party and a happy Halloween to everybody. I'm Sam Ekstrom of the Ron Johnson Show and Locked On Sports Minnesota. This is the ultimate promotion for the YouTube channel because you can't see it if you're only listening. We appreciate that you're listening. But I am Bob Ross, Alec Lewis of The Athletic, our guest co-host today. He is Ted Lasso. Arif Hassan is Luke Braun. And Luke Braun is... Luke Braun, what are you exactly? Generic magician. Yeah. Generic. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know if there was but a also name like put to it. also like Whiplash, it looks like. Sure. I haven't seen that movie. It, I mean, it's a cartoon, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about Whiplash, the movie. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm all, yeah, a little bit like I could tie a damsel in distress to train yeah, tracks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Evil magician vibes. Um, although it's a very whimsical mustache that he has. Alec Lewis covers the Vikings for The Athletic. Arif Hassan covers the NFL for Pro Football Network. And Luke Braun covers the Vikings for Locked on Vikings and the Locked on Vikings postcast. Make sure you subscribe to Locked on Sports Minnesota on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. It's free and available. And we're also available on the Amazon Fire and Roku apps for a wonderful, seamless viewing experience. You can see our costumes and the beauty of your 75-inch TV. What's better than that? On today's show, we are talking Vikings, Cardinals, Minnesota wins. They are 6-1. Defense gets splashy. Offense delivers in the red zone. Kirk Cousins is Kirk Vick, apparently, or Fran Tarkenton, or other uh, mobile quarterbacks that you want to compare him to. And, of course, we will have our gambling update. Who is the new leader in our gambling contest? Hmm, that comes up later in the show. But we start off with this. The Minnesota Vikings have six wins and one loss on the season. They beat the Cardinals 34-26. I want your biggest storyline from the victory. Let's go around the circle, and we start with the guest, Alec Lewis, a.k.a. Ted Lasso. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's hard not to take away what Patrick Peterson's whole vibe was yesterday. I mean, on the field, he was finger wagging at the sideline throughout the entire game. He had a couple PBUs. He didn't line up often against DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, so something definitely to note. But then in the locker room after the game, 
He had shots for Steve Kime, the Arizona uh, Cardinals GM. He, he mentioned something about somehow people putting emails directed at him on his chair when he was with the Cardinals. So um, it's hard not to start there and then connect that to to guys like Jordan Hicks and, and guys like Harry Phillips and, and obviously Zadarius Smith and what he did. And think about these acquisitions. And obviously they, they've all been pretty solid for this team thus far. They've made impacts and they're all kind of veterans that I think Harrison Smith said yesterday have added to the locker room in a tangible kind of chemistry way. And I, I just think it's hard. Yesterday was kind of the hard not to think that yesterday was the, the full like, I don't know, existence of, of that impact that those guys have made. Arif? Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of related to that, I think this is the first game where, uh, I guess besides week one, where people were really excited. Is something wrong, Luke? I don't understand. <laughs> I, it's fine. I'll get over it. Uh, this is this is probably the first game where I think you know uh, defensively you felt like the defense came through right like uh, you you didn't have I guess besides week one you didn't have a game where you felt really comfortable with what the defense was doing whether it was their propensity to give up big plays and big moments or uh, their propensity to give up you know a bunch of chunk yardage or fail on third down or whatever I think this is the first time we've seen you know, a, a more complete defensive performance. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, Zedarius Smith, how well he played, Harrison Phillips, how well he played, Jordan Hicks had a great game, uh, and Eric Kendricks had a good game. I think Kendricks and Smith were really phenomenal players, uh, and and they've been good all year, but this is kind of the uh, the the best example of how well they could play when, when things are going well for them. Bron. It's, it's so funny to hear, like, serious – football takes from a, a from mass LeBron, I agree. yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't true. usually hear serious or good football uh, takes from luke braun but you know yeah. halloween people and, and that's by design personas. yeah <laughs> no i so for me i have to mention zadarius smith um and the, the big game that he had but also the way that the team functioned to get him into those spots was a full team effort, you know? Like, if I the, the defense really, like, the production funneled through him, but Daniil Hunter's disruptions got in, like, had their part in that. The coverage had its part in that, and that goes to Patrick Peterson. Um, you know, other plays getting them behind the chain so that they can run their fun pressures, right? That is the story of the game to me, getting Kyler Murray under a ton of pressure, not keeping contained perfectly, but probably as good as you can expect. And keeping that offense from being able to really get its legs under it, unless it was throwing a bubble screen to Rondale Moore, which appears to be the only play that Cliff King Kingsbury likes. Yeah. Kingsbury's on thin ice. Um, the Cardinals, I think are going to give teams trouble throughout the year, but they do too much dumb stuff to be taken seriously. Um, I'm going to recycle a take from an earlier show this morning. So apologies if you watch both shows, but what's the opposite of complimentary football? Because that's what the Vikings were last year. And Kirk Cousins couldn't entirely explain in postgame what the difference was, but it is a 180. Last year's team would come up with a big offensive drive. It was, how about this, insultory football. The defense would say, screw you, offense. We're going to give up a touchdown drive right back. Oh, offense and defense are playing well. I'm going to miss three field goals. I'm Greg Joseph. 
yesterday, and there are nitpicks in all three phases, right? Greg Joseph did miss two kicks. Defense gave mm-hmm. up 159 yards to DeAndre Hopkins. Offense turned the ball over, and they, they couldn't put the game away at the end. But I still felt like it was one of the more complimentary performances we've seen in a year full of them, where the offense has five different touchdown scorers, including some of your tertiary threats in Madison, Osborne, and Munt. Five of five in the red zone. Huge drive to go up by eight late in the game. The defensive pass rush was excellent. The coverage was splashy. Um, for the first time, really, there was some serious playmaking on defense instead of sort of letting the game happen to them. And then on special teams, you see uh, a key turnover forced late in that game on the muff punt. So I think that's what you take away is that this team just has a lot of people that can kind of be heroic and be the story. And I don't know if there are like any like clear, obvious, this person saved the game. It was a lot of different people yesterday and and Alec I think that that is key when you start to see some of the things you've been craving like all right this secondary can be somewhat aggressive and they can make some plays okay this pass rush is really starting to come together some of those concerns early in the year it might be eased a little bit after yesterday yeah I mean in all season some of these guys like Eric Kendrick some of the leaders in the room Eric Kendricks and Harrison Smith they, they've spoken about like we feel like there's another level we feel like we're still kind of easing our way into this defense and I think um like to Arif's point earlier <laughs> uh like Eric Kendricks was flying around throughout the entire day yesterday I mean Jordan Hicks made that play on fourth down just screaming to the ball and I I think I was I said this yesterday to somebody and I was thinking about it pretty heavily. It's like this defense, you think a lot about the shell and, and, and kind of the, the two highs in the back end. And I think you think a lot about the pass rush, but I almost like think we undersell the value of having really good, really smart coverage savvy linebackers in the middle. And I, I like, I think Eric Kendricks and, and, and Jordan Hicks played really well yesterday. And I think that was critical to this defense kind of, taking a step forward and how we view it, even if they did allow 26 points. Yeah, I think that was much needed. Um, Cam Dantzler did get roasted by DeAndre Hopkins. On one hand, it's DeAndre Hopkins. On the other hand, is the Cam Dantzler is elite conversation maybe a little bit premature, Arif Hassan? Yeah, I don't know if I ever was a part of that conversation. That was not, <laughs> you know, the conversation I had been considering yeah cam no, dancer created uh, that conversation i okay. well, bully for him i'm very happy for him that he's that confident but uh, <laughs> yeah this was uh this was a rough one um i don't know if you saw the the tyler dunn piece that go along about cameron dancer's relationship uh to, to mike zimmer versus his relationship to kevin o'connell and how that's really changed his approach to, to to football and how it's made him kind of more willing to to make mistakes and that ability to make mistakes has allowed him to be a better football player. But, you know, the, the flip side of that is that he makes mistakes. <laughs> like, I don't know. He's, he's made a, a fair amount of them this year. And uh, well, in this case, it was less, you know, mental errors and more, I'm not as good as DeAndre Hopkins, which is a, a fairly, you know, reasonable, I think, you know, quote unquote mistake to be able to make. Um, it was, it you know, it, it kind of put into to relief, you know, what the limitations of, Cameron Dancer are what the limitations of the defense are, right? Because like Alex said, Patrick Peterson was not lined up over DeAndre Hopkins 
for a good chunk of the game. And uh, that's because Arizona could dictate where Hopkins lined up, right? You know, the, the Vikings did not respond by, you know, shadowing him or anything like that, nor do I uh, think that that was necessarily, you know, would be the right move. That's just kind of the limitation of the way that the Viking structure is set up, and that means that they rely a lot on somebody like Cameron Dancer to, to win those matchups. And it's not something that he can do right now. I don't know if it's something he can do ever, but, you know, he is playing a lot better, and that's, you know, useful to have. So, Braun, despite season-high points allowed, when you look at this defensive performance on a curve, they were not playing a backup quarterback. They were playing a team that, at least in in terms of its identity or its self-proclaimed identity, is the offense. And they have an elite wide receiver, maybe one of the top five in the league, maybe one of the top three. He's really, really good. Um, it felt like there was more to like about this defensive performance, like even than in the Miami game or in some of the games where they yeah. gave up fewer points just because of the, the opponent if you wait for what they had to go against. I think there were way fewer miscommunications and that kind of trickles around to everything else. But, you know, if you look at the first like three or four games, they're yelling at each other. They don't have each other lined up like they don't have the right coverages. You've got busts all over the place, mistakes all over the place, bad zone spacing. Like there were all sorts of problems that I you could kind of see them picking away at it, but I think coming out of the bye, they they made a, a, a took a really big step, and I think that leads to yeah, they like actually like if you listen to Arizona media, they don't think the offense had a good day. They scored twenty six. They're not happy with that. Um, you know, they're talking about two interceptions in the muff punt, the the muffed punt, but like they aren't sitting there going, yeah, the offense did its job. We just, you know, the defense gave up 34. I think we can be pretty happy with this defensive performance. And when you're not screwing up the coverages, it means other stuff that happens on the play matters, right? So Darius Smith can have the best rep in the world, but if you, if you bust the coverage on the back end, that's a 70 yard touchdown. Nobody cares. Um, That because that stuff wasn't happening, other like the, the players were actually able to make plays. This game came down to matchups and some of them did favor Arizona, like DeAndre Hopkins on Cameron Dantzler. But games in the past weren't coming down to matchups. They were coming down to, can the Vikings get their crap together before the game is over? Because they need to, uh, because they're trailing the Bears right now. <laughs> we'll talk Greg Joseph concerns, excellent run game, and grading Kurt Cousins' performance. But first, bet online. .net, your number one source for football betting and the start of the new basketball season as well with the NBA underway. Find all the latest lines, matchups, podcasts, in-depth analysis at betonline.net, which is your top source for all sports wagering info, all the major pro sports, MMA, boxing, and golf. And, of course, we're following that Vikings commander's line already. The Vikings are three-and-a-half-point favorites in Washington over under 44 and a half. We'll see how that fluctuates as the week goes on at betonline.net. Head to the website today or use your mobile device. BetOnline, where the game starts. Alec, I go to you because uh, first, compliments to you. You're doing a great job at The Athletic, and you wrote a great story two weeks ago on Daniil Hunter and why the conversation around his lack of impact might have been overblown and how he still has the support of coaches and how he's sort of been a victim of circumstances, why he's not being more productive. Two weeks later, I think we're still having that conversation as Darius Smith puts up the numbers 
and Daniil Hunter is playing almost a secondary role on that defensive line. How do you perceive where he is at compared to where Zadarius is at and sort of the, the difference between the two right now? Yeah, it's a great question, I think. And it's something that yesterday in the in the press box, a couple writers were talking about and, and some were, were, were focusing on it more than others. But I think um, what's interesting to note is the Vikings approach and strategy defensively in general. And I think that is to line up their best guy on, on the op- opposition's worst. And I think right now, um, and, and, and probably just in general, Zadarius Smith has a knack for being able to stand up and, and play on the edge and play inside and affect protection both externally and internally in a way that Daniel Hunter just has never done in his career. So I think to expect Daniel Hunter to, to be the stand-up guy in the middle going at the center in the middle of the line, it's something he's never done. So I think that's why you see Zadarius Smith kind of taking that, that forward role and then Daniel kind of, um, I guess you could call it in somewhat of a, a, of a secondary pass, pass rush role. But I think in general, you need a guy like Daniel who can force the pocket on one side to, to really enhance what a guy like Zadarius Smith can do. So while it might not show up in the numbers, um, and while I do think I need to go back and look at the film to really analyze it, to, to have full confidence in, in, in kind of just how he's progressed, I think it's hard to really evaluate considering how the Vikings approach this thing from a, from a pass rush standpoint. Yeah. And you can't complain to reef with the results. I mean, if, if they're going to get four sacks and three of them goes to Zedarius, that is a great defensive line performance. And you don't want to be too critical, you know, when they're, they're producing in that way. It's like if Justin Jefferson gets to 150 yards, you're not going to rip Adam Thielen too hard because, Hey, all the targets just went to Jefferson and he produced, um, so is it, is it overblown to say that Daniil Hunter isn't doing enough through seven games? Uh, I, I think it's overblown. I think that, you know, like Alex said, you kind of want to take a look at, you know, how this production is occurring, what, what, what the context is for how Hunter um, has missed out on a, on a good chunk of the production. And I think if you take a look at that film with a, a fairly critical eye, you can say, you know, most of these games, Daniil Hunter comes out, actually with a pretty positive performance. You know, maybe he's not getting the sacks, but he is getting the pressures. If he's not getting the pressures, he is getting the pass rush wins that force really quick throws, which force, you know, underneath throws, which which make it really difficult for, you know, offenses to create explosives. And that's kind of his job, right? Obviously, it'd be nice if he had um, the shiny numbers, and the shiny numbers do matter, right? Because a sack for seven yards means a lot more than a pressure. But um, I, I think that for most of these games, I want to say um, – probably at least four, maybe five of these games, he actually had a really good performance. It just didn't show up in the, in the numbers in the same way. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that you can see it sometimes in the pressure numbers, sometimes you don't. Um, but certainly in, like you said, the output, the production that the defensive line has, especially with the way Zedaria Smith is playing, you know, there is a tangible effect to, to the way that Daniel Hunter is playing. But I think it's also, you know, it's not necessarily nitpicky, right? You know, when we talk about Adam Thielen and say, hey, you know, Adam Thielen's not getting enough yards, you know, what does that mean? Can we help the offense by finding ways to get Adam Thielen yards? If not, fine, let's keep doing what we're doing. If so, let's see if we can kind of design systems that make the offense more efficient that utilize Thielen. Same thing, I think, with Hunter. You know, hey, you know, he is winning off the snap, but he is not get, getting as much pressure as we'd like, or he's not getting as many sacks as we'd like. The defensive line is performing a lot better, but is there a way to 
preserve that defensive line performance while still enabling Hunter to be a little bit more impactful given the skill set that we know he has. And that's something that I think the defense should take a pretty hard look at and figure out ways to kind of make sure the Hunter is playing a lot better. I mean, you see it all the time on some of these 3-4 defenses. They'll move people around in ways that'll help them, right? Not just in the way that Darius Smith, you know, was able to get over the center and get, you know, a couple of his sacks, but but rather, you know, kind of moving somebody into the ground, lining them up closer or lining them up further away. You know, I, you know, we saw this with, you know, defenses adapting to the wide nine. I think that, you know, Philadelphia, for example, when they got Jason Babin, you know, kind of moved him around until they finally figured out where on the wide nine you know, what technique would best enable him. And I think you could do the same thing with Hunter. I think that you can find ways to make him even more effective than he's been. And it feels like the stalwarts have all had this learning curve. Eric Hendricks in coverage, Harrison Smith not roaming the box as much, and Daniil Hunter, as we've talked about, Braun. So the it's not just Daniil who's having to adjust to this. It is difficult to change schemes to this degree and have this immediate impact. Um, but I do wonder like what it does for the off-season conversation. If Daniil floats through the season and this continues, let's say he ends with seven sacks on the year, what does that mean for the spring and for Daniil's future? I, You would kind of hope that contract negotiations aren't just like based on stats because like, like you guys have all said, like the, there is an impact that's a little bit more unseen. And if anybody's going to know about that, it's the people who designed it, which are the Vikings. Like this game, I mean, Zadarius Smith's superpower is beating interior linemen one-on-one. Well, what a great opportunity. They have two backup interior linemen, right? And if you look at a lot of the biggest Zadarius Smith plays one-on-one with an interior lineman, how did that happen? Daniel Hunter got a lot of attention. Um, I would imagine that both the Vikings and Daniil Hunter slash his agent are aware of this. And I would hope that that could affect things. But I also know the reality that you're going to say, Hey, you didn't produce. We're going to, you know, that's going to change the uh, amount of money, blah, blah, blah. With Daniil Hunter's contract in particular, um, the extension that he signed, there aren't any options or any real like deadlines that would require that. The only thing that would get them to the negotiating table is if Daniil Hunter, like, demands it and makes a big stink about it um but considering that he just signed a deal with this new regime that feels unlikely to me but i don't know everybody else on this uh panel is more sourced up than i am so (laughs) correct me if i'm wrong there but it doesn't feel like that's going to be a conversation this offseason anyways i also kind of feel like at at some point it's going to be daniel hunter's turn there's going to be a team we go up against where their weakness is Daniel Hunter's strength instead of Zadarius Smith's, and then they'll want to do it that way. But I, it's hard to argue with the approach to this Arizona Cardinals game, which was get Zadarius Smith on Billy Price and make their lives hell all day. That, yeah, do that. Yeah, and there's a lot of time for Daniel's numbers to level out. Still 10 games left in this season. I got a lot more talking points I want to get to, so I'm going to move it along to Dalvin Cook, who puts together probably his best performance of the year. 20 carries, 111 yards, and a touchdown, fairly active in the passing game. And I'm wondering if I need to reevaluate how I'm viewing Dalvin Cook's season because I was fairly critical of Cook early on, particularly when he was trying to play through discomfort with the shoulder. He was predictably ineffective. The passing game talk, again, seemed a little overblown with him being more involved or, or involved in a kind of meaningful or special way. But you look at the tail of the tape, 
He's played in every game. He's averaging 4.9 per attempt, which is second best in his career. And he's on pace for 1,362 yards, which would be second best in his career, which is kind of incumbent upon him playing the whole season. But Alec, now that we've seen Cook kind of play his best game here against Arizona, does do you feel like Cook is actually putting together like a pretty solid season, maybe relative to what we talked about a few weeks ago? Yeah, I think he's been I think he's been really good. I mean, every time in Miami I thought this, and I think against Chicago I thought this, but just watching and I haven't watched him as much as you guys, but I just feel like he is so sudden. His his footwork is is so sudden. I mean, obviously that Miami touchdown, the 53-yard touchdown kind of stands out, but yesterday and, and it ties with the offensive line and, and the job they did because I thought they did a really good job and it was an emphasis early on, I know for them to do a good job in the run game and, and kind of uh, put the Vikings in better positions on third down. It was, it was such a focus for them going into the game, but I just Dalvin and the way he moves and it, it's, it's pretty impressive. And I just, I, I think it's critical um, to have a, a, a guy of that type of experience level slash just shiftiness um, who has adapted, I think to, to what they've done in the run game. And I think they've had to, do some different stuff just over time, just with how defenses have defended guys like Justin Jefferson and, and, and the spots they put them in. So I think he's been pretty adaptable as well. I, I think he's been good. I, I don't know what the masses, how people in general would evaluate it, but just watching, I feel like he's been a difference maker for this team. That's just been my read. And I felt like he looked like himself yesterday. Like fans that have watched him his his whole Vikings career – they know him for being a violent runner, for embracing contact, for falling forward and breaking tackles. And I thought he embraced that more yesterday, particularly on that 30-yard run where Garrett Bradbury got the taunting call. Braun and I talked about this on the postcast yesterday. I thought that Dalvin Cook was protecting himself in the way he ran, that he was going to the ground more easily the last few weeks, that he was thinking about how he was going to fall and do it more strategically to, to keep the shoulder safe. And, and yesterday, Arif, I thought that he let it loose a little bit and it led to some more explosives. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's fair. I think one thing that we have to kind of keep in mind when we're evaluating Cook first is that you know, when he is coming off of an injury or when he's injured, he plays a lot differently than when he is, you know, healthy. We saw that last year when he was coming off of the ankle. You know, he played a bunch of games last year, what, like 15 out of the 17 games I think he was uh, he was, he was playing in. And uh, for a good chunk in the middle of that season, you know, he was dealing with an ankle injury and he didn't look as explosive. You know, we've seen him come off of shoulder or collar injuries where, you know, he looks like he is attempting to protect himself, but much like, you know, what you were talking about, you know, earlier in this season, and now we're, we're getting to see him play a little bit more explosively. Um, I do find kind of the numbers conversation interesting about Cook because, of course, you know, the Vikings are throwing the ball a little bit more. They're more willing to, you know, uh, turn running downs into passing downs. And so the, the, pass, the running downs that Cook gets, I think, are going to give him a little bit more yardage. So I think that the numbers are going to be a little bit deceptive when evaluating Cook. I think that we kind of more have to rely on – how we feel that he's performed in a particular game. I think that he did well against Miami. I think he did well this last week, you know, and, and while you were all talking about that, I was trying to look up like, Hey, there is a way to adjust for that. We can take a look at his expected points per play, right. Which, you know, it accounts for things like down and distance. If cook is getting more favorable down and distances, you know, to run, you know, maybe that 
uh, is meaningful. And so uh, during that conversation that you and Alec were having, I, I took a look at it. And Dalvin Cook was uh, definitely most effective in 2020 in terms of EPA per play, and then 2021, and then 2019, uh, and then 2018, and then 2022, right? So he's getting more yards per carry than all but one of his seasons, but it is a less impactful yards per carry. The yards mean a little bit less because of the down and distance they come from. So that's something we have to keep in mind. And I think that actually aligns with our feeling on his play this year. I think that, you know, hey, we can take a look at that play, be unimpressed, take a look at the yards per carry numbers, say, hey, that's actually a little bit better than I thought, and then go back to, well, there's a little bit of context here that tells us that, you know, it hasn't been quite as good. But I think that there is more positive in the future than negative for him in terms of that in terms of that play because he's finding those explosives again. And that's really where his value is as a running back. It's to find those explosives. It's to break kind of those tackles at the second level and, and be one-on-one -on -one with a safety and generate a 30, 40, 50-yard gain. And, and he can do that, um, but he had a lot of difficulty with that at the beginning of the year. Some of that, I think, is him. I think some of that is the offensive line that we're not really blocking all that well. Um, but the run design, I think, has been really phenomenal for the Vikings. It's, it's been a lot more diverse and interesting than I expected. Um, I, I thought it was just going to be, uh, you know, an, in, uh, an outside zone team that sometimes changes it up with inside zone and duo, but they've been doing a lot more. And and Cook is in a position to be able to take advantage of it. He hasn't quite yet, but I think that he will. Luke Braun, your thoughts? I think one of the most interesting things about this is Dalvin Cook's not in a contract year, but it kind of is one with the way his contract is structured. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I've been pretty happy with the way that Dalvin cook played um, the way that he has sort of squeezed extra yards. Um, but I think we'd be remiss not to talk about the run blocking in this one. I mean, they got so much push up front. Christian Derrissaw was just a bulldozer. Ezra Cleveland, I thought had a fantastic game in the run. Even the guys that struggled in the past, Ingram and, and Bradbury had their highlights in the run game as well. Everybody up front, Johnny Munt. And of course, Brian O'Neill, like everybody did really well up front to open up those holes, but also maximizing the yards you get out of that is kind of the running back's job. And I, I yeah, he did, he did a great job, like you guys said. But look, if he's cut next year with a post-June designation, he would save $11 million on the Vikings cap. That, he's, he's got a $14 million cap hit in 2023. He ain't playing on that. That's either getting restructured or cut. And... I think uh, the the next 10 games are going to have a lot to the next 11 or 12 games, let's say uh, are going to have a lot to do with the decision that the Vikings make there, because this is not the Mike Zimmer Kubiak team that drafted Dalvin cook. They have different plans for running backs. Look at the way the Rams have handled running back. Um, and the, the way that running backs been handled and all the teams, Kevin O'Connell has gone through. It's been different here and there. So, I think we're going to have a lot of interesting decisions to make next off season as we kind of find out which of yeah. these inherited players um, the the Vikings actually want to incorporate into their new thing and which one they're just sort of getting by because that's what's in the building when they got here. Um, but I think Dalvin Cook has made a pretty good case for himself so far. The This is going to make for some in-depth conversations in the off season for sure. And maybe some in season too, but the Vikings kicked a lot of their tough financial decisions down the road. And those decisions only get more difficult when you're good. If this was a tanking Vikings team that was clearly going to rebuild, those are easy conversations. But when you have yeah. decision points on, 
Harrison Smith, Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Daniil Hunter, Eric Hendricks, beloved players, all of whom have onerous contracts, you're, it's going to be a slippery slope. And even if this team makes a playoff run, you probably can't keep all five of them at their current numbers. That leads to negotiations. That leads to hurt feelings. And sometimes that leads to cuts. So that's something for the future that, you know, maybe when they, they decided to kick the can down the road a year, they weren't anticipating the team being this good. And they are 6-1 and one at this point, number two in the NFC. We got to attack Kirk Cousins' performance uh, in our four-minute drill. But first, thank you for making Minnesota Football Party your first listen today. But for your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today, especially on a Monday coming off the NFL games. It's a great listen from the games that matter uh, to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights. Only Locked On can provide Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for our four-minute four drill. We dole out grades for Kirk Cousins' performance. Let's do it. Start the clock. It's time to execute the four-minute drill. All right, we'll start with the guest because we're polite here, Alec Lewis. Uh, we give you one minute. We give everybody one minute. We go around the circle, and uh, we ask you to plead your case. So how would you grade... Kirk Cousins yesterday for his 232-yard, uh, two-touchdown performance, including a rushing touchdown. Yeah, I think it was one of his better games this year. I, that's, I, that was just my takeaway watching, and, and there are a couple of reasons why I say that. Obviously, the scramble touchdown, seeing him do that, I think afterward he said, Usually guys get to me a lot quicker. So I I don't know I don't know what the deal is with his speed there, but I, I thought obviously for him to make that decision, the Cardinals covered that route tree really, but he scrambled and, and made that decision and scored the touchdown. So for him to do that, I thought that was really positive. I also think he deserves some credit for pushing the ball down the field on that third down to Justin Jefferson in traffic. Obviously not the greatest I mean, I don't know. It was a decision he made, and, and he threw it up to his best guy, and his best guy made the play. And then I also thought, like, my biggest takeaway with him yesterday watching the game was it felt like there was a lot of pressure, especially from the inside with Ed Ingram, J.J. Uh, Watt on Ed Ingram, and it felt like for for a lot of the game he stood in and made plays. So I, 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 I graded Chris pretty well. Arif Hassan. Yeah, I, I do want to say that the things that we've criticized Kirk for the most, he has improved on. I think that he's done a much better job improvising and adapting to the circumstances around him. You know, that's something that we're not used to seeing from him. He did get under a lot of pressure, like Alex said, about a 42%, 43% pressure rate from PFF. He did not perform necessarily all that well under pressure, except, of course, those scrambles, which is really nice to see. Would have been nice to see at least one more scramble for a first down. But we have to keep in mind that a lot of it was after catch work, over 100 yards of his 200 32 yards came after the catch his average depth of target was seven he had a dropped pick that didn't show up in the stat sheet he had one big time throw one uh turnover worthy play those are things to kind of keep in mind it was a nice performance because the vikings ended up with five touchdowns at the end of the game it's very difficult to say that you know the offense suffered that kirk played poorly and i don't think that he did but i'm not going to say that this is one of the better Kirk cousins performances we've seen it's just one of the more interesting ones because if he can unlock this potential that he's shown here he could become a really good quarterback i give him a beat 
Yeah, I'd probably go about in the same range. Um, it was certainly not a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination, but there was a lot more to like than there was to dislike. And the stuff that there was to like, like Arif said, was kind of stuff that's like been a narrative for Cousins. The way he worked in the pocket, the way he moved the pocket, he has shown the ability to do that before, but never this consistently. He was he he worked the pocket and found plays. It wasn't surviving. It was finding places to attack. And that it, it was a different looking mentality in this game. I, and I really appreciated that. But you can't just ignore like the accuracy issue, like four or five balls coming out way high on him that were like open balls. The one scrambling on the run. I mean, look, scrambling to your left and throwing on the run is hard. But, you know, it's third and one. You could have run for the first down. You see Justin Jefferson wide open, 25 yards down the field. Yeah, rip that. Absolutely. But you got to hit him. You got to put that on on the numbers because he's wide open. You can't miss that third and four misses KJ Osborne high. Those are also problems. You got to deal with it, but it's there's a lot more to like. Yeah, accuracy in the way of missing guys too high that has been a consistent problem. And Bron, you've been quick to point that out as the years gone on. I give it about a, a B minus performance, maybe a B. Um, I think the scrambling pushes it up to a B. When you have a quarterback that can make that kind of play, that is a game-changing play. And I, I thought the rest of his mobility kind of went for naught. Like his other scrambles didn't really get first downs. Um, when he stepped up in the pocket, he didn't typically make huge plays out of it. But I like that that feature might be more unlockable than it was previously. But great run for the first touchdown. The one thing we didn't see that we wanted to see coming out of the bye were more explosives. That wasn't necessarily present aside from that big third down throw to Jefferson where Jefferson went up and got it. Uh, I thought Kirk, and this is credit to the Cardinals too, he wasn't getting to a lot of those first reads early in the game. And the run game helped tremendously to help them convert some third downs. Um, but QBR would indicate it was his third best game of the year, 50.4 QBR. I think that's about right. And that's our four-minute drill. Um, I got so that's a little Kirk. breaking something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess not breaking, uh, spraining. Irv Smith has a high ankle sprain is the fear, according to Jeremy Fowler. When not did that occur? Though. Spraining? Good Lord. Get over yourself, man. <laughs> I you get over it was in the second <laughs> So what we've got a uh, like Twitter doc the game who posted the Kevin video. Obama. Like one of the last Someone ones. undercuts him, left ankle. Okay. So that's not great. I, I knew that he was banged up. I didn't know the extent of it. So what does this mean? Let, let's go with this. Irv Smith ankle. That sounds like multiple weeks out. Johnny Munchow? Or do you go find somebody to, uh, someone off the street who can at least help with your depth? I might see some moves in the next 24 hours. There's definitely people out there available I don't know if I love the idea of just trying to go like one for one and getting like a Gesicki who can't block. I would probably rather go get a a wide receiver and and maybe just live in 10 personnel if that wide receiver can block and you know you can kind of run your same 11 plays out of that and hope you don't lose too much equity. Um but I know there's more tight ends out there. I'm not too familiar. There's um the the guy from the Broncos but I don't, you guys probably know more about like which tight ends. Yeah, him. Alberto, um, Alberto, maybe him or something, something like that. But I, yeah. I would be uh, definitely watching that kind of stuff. Herndon. Like a hawk. H E R O N. Don't do that. O N. 
free agent. Somebody who um, belongs on an NFL roster this time, please, and thank you. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say this. I think that the Vikings already were not committing that many snaps to Irv Smith. Uh, and so, you know, not having him, obviously, that's going to be a blow. They'd rather have him than not, but they've been giving a lot of snaps to Johnny Munt. Um, I think they will continue to do that and give snaps to uh, Ben Ellison. And I don't know, who do they have on a practice squad? I'm sure that they've got a practice squad tight end. They're willing Hollister. to elevate. Yeah. Oh, and Nick Muse. Yeah, perfect. And Nick Muse, right? So they got two. Um, yeah, I, 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 would, I would not be uh, shocked to see uh, one of the Wyoming twins. Uh, it was a Jake Hollister, not Cody Hollister. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that uh, we'll, we'll probably see uh, – you know, an elevation from the practice squad more than anything. I don't think that they're going to make a move. If they did make a move for Albert O, I'd be interested and excited. I think that he's a, a pretty, you know, interesting player. But, you know, you'd have to ask questions as to why it was working out in Denver. I know that they, you know, have that rookie tight end that they really love a lot, Greg Dulcich. But, you know, he'd been moving down in the depth chart, you know, before Dulcich's um, apparent rise to, to starting quality play. So um, that one's interesting. I like it, but I don't know that that's, you know, that would necessarily be a good answer. It would give you maybe kind of a long-term solution if Irv Smith continues to not work out. But right now, the Vikings don't see Irv Smith as as a critical piece of that offense in the same way they do somebody like KJ Osborne or Adam Thielen, or even, of course, you know, you know, Justin Jefferson or Dalvin Cook. He just doesn't seem to to move the needle as much for them. So I don't see a huge move from them in response to this. Yeah, we're we're getting to the point where the Irv Smith tenure in Minnesota is going to be one of the most unfulfilling careers that we've seen from a high draft pick ever. Um, and I feel bad for Irv. Injuries keep getting in his way. It was the preseason injury, which seemed to set the table for this kind of timeshare that they have with Munt. And now this could set him back pretty severely once again. So that's, that's interesting news. And injuries did catch up to the Vikings a little bit yesterday. Dalvin Tomlinson out with a calf. Don't know the severity on that. Zedarius Smith's knee flares up again. So that's a re-injury of the previous knee issue. And that could lead to a snap reduction. I, I, don't, I don't see him missing a game, but that could be he only plays on third downs. Remember how they rationed his snaps after the first injury? That could happen again. And Adam Thielen keeps getting banged up. And he keeps returning to his credit, but that could see maybe a snap reduction for him as well. So some injury regression happening yesterday. Uh, concern level one through 10 guys on, on the injury stuff. Alec, we'll start with you. Not that concern. I mean, I, I think I'd probably put this at like a, a four. I mean, Adam Thielen, to your points, like Sam, he's, it's been every game. He'll fall down, grab his ankle, leave the, the field, and then he'll come back. And I think he's, he's been dealing with it. And I mean, but he still looks. It, the separation stuff with him, I, I feel like he's done a better job than maybe the the numbers might even might even show. Um, the Dalvin Tom, I mean, Dalvin Tomlinson's been really good this year, but um, post game it didn't sound like it, it was going to be such a long term thing. I think that would be that would raise my concern level if 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 he was um, hurt more. And then Irv Smith, like we we've just discussed, I mean. Johnny Munn, I believe, started the game. He's been good in eleven personnel as a blocker. He's been uh, um, serviceable in the in the passing game. I just, I, I, I think, as these guys have discussed, his his impact in the passing game, I just don't think has been at a level that I think uh, anybody would hope. And so, uh, just not not overly concerned. I mean, you still have your offensive line intact. I mean, you still have. Um, 
the secondary intact. I think that that's that's important. My my concern level kind of relies on how Dalvin Tomlinson's doing. That would be a really huge blow. But like Arif kind of mentioned with Irv Smith, it's there it's a committee and this coaching staff doesn't use tight ends the way like the last coaching staff living out of 12 personnel wanting to run wide zone out of it all the time tight ends were vital like that's a really important position a little less important when you're running out of 11 all the time and um you're, you know you're doing committee stuff with tight end blocking and you really only put in two tight ends when it's a necessity um that kind of lowers the concern level for me a little bit but dalvin tomlinson would be a, a really huge blow and that backup defensive line has been out there that's when we have seen the defense really truly dissolve give up a ton of push in the run let guys you know run down the field on him we saw arizona i think going tempo every time they saw one of those guys come off the field uh on on sunday because they wanted to take advantage of that so if we have to deal with dalvin tomlinson off the field for a long time i i do think that that is that that will certainly cause some problems it's time for kairis tonga trivia he might be your big <laughs> solve to help that defensive tackle spot um shout out the answer if you think you know it kairis tonga what college did he attend are we already penalized for wrong guesses no uh utah state Wow, you are in the correct state, but not the correct college. I'll take it. BYU. Yes, Alec wins. Nice. Um, BYU. You're welcome for the assist, Alec. He. Thanks. Oh, yeah, I, and I think It was one of those, uh, though, he took like a, a multi-year mission trip at college because it's BYU, oh. so I think he started in the NFL late. He's 26 years old. Um, he was drafted. Guess which team drafted him? Shout it out. Uh, the Bears. Did you actually know that? There's no way you did. Yeah. How would you know? No, that? I did. That that I did know. <laughs> that one I knew. That is stunning. So clearly Arif did his I, homework. I, I, I run the consensus, boy. That makes sense that I would know that. You never know when you're going to find yourself in a situation where you need Kairos Tonga trivia. <laughs> you just never... <laughs> you just win the Bears drafted him, they compared him to Stephen Paella, which is not... Well, not the Bears. That wouldn't have helped them. But people compared him to Stephen Paella, another Samoan nose tackle who was extremely strong and bench repped in a million times. I'm just saying. Sometimes you remember stuff. And he helped force the interception yesterday with the pressure on Murray. So Tonga already making an impact. Uh, Matthew Collar and I compared him to Jordan Brailford who was a one-hit wonder one time right. in 2020 uh, for the Vikings defensive line. For for those who really, really care, that's a deep cut. Um, I hope one person appreciates it. It's going to be it. a great name to bring up in like five years. <laughs> hey, remember Jordan Brailford and Abdullah yeah. Anderson? Abdullah um, Anderson. <laughs> David Perry. Yeah. The Vikings love their, their defensive line. And, David Perry. Yeah. Um, Greg Joseph. Greg Joseph has missed five consecutive 50-plus yard kicks, and most of them have not been particularly close. Blocked, well, wide. He misses an extra point yesterday as well. I was Mr. Skeptical of Greg Joseph early on. I should have 
stuck to my guns because I totally backed off of it. I said, nope, he's actually good. And now I'm, I'm dubious again because this is Greg Joseph. This is his career. There are flashes, and then there's inconsistency. And when you don't really have this track record to go on where you can be trusted to make these kicks, um, it's easy to be skeptical, and I'm skeptical because he didn't hang around in Cleveland because he wasn't super consistent, and he wasn't super consistent last year with the Vikings. So am I wrong to be hard on a guy when he's missing 56-yard kicks, which are really difficult? Um, how, how, off, how out of line am I here? Ron, tell me, t- talk me off the ledge. Well, what, what is, is the solution you're proposing here? Because I do think, I mean, there's a problem that needs to be fixed, right? You can't miss three extra points mm-hmm. in seven games and pretend everything's okay. Like, that's not acceptable. <laughs> um, but the rest of the misses, are all they're all over 50 yards. I think, what, six of 15 of his attempts have been over 50 yards and all of his misses have come in that category? That seems like mm-hmm. a pretty weird split. Um, that is <laughs> mad. I tried to keep it going so Matt, hard. Matt is so good at this, man. <laughs> uh, this is a, a nightmare. I hope I wake up soon. Um, I hope you never yeah, wake up. Yeah, like... <laughs> I don't think you have anything to say about it. Uh, <laughs> if you're talking about, like, firing Greg Joseph and getting a new kicker, that kicker's also going to have his problems. So you're just picking, it's it's like a Molotov cocktail. Boom, different problem. Did you solve anything? I don't know. You just kind of replaced one problem with another one. I don't think we're to that point yet, um, and, but I do think that whatever it is needs to get fixed. My question is, and I, I genuinely don't know the answer to this, is there a correlation between missing extra points and then like later missing field goals? Like, is it just happened to be a a random coincidence that all of his misses under 50 have been for extra points? Or is there something about extra points that is unique versus a 33 yard field goal, which should theoretically be the exact same kick. But I feel like we've seen that a lot where a guy like specifically struggles on extra points. So is there something that I'm missing there or is this like genuine, okay, this is a concern and this is going to lead to field goal misses later then I think we can have a more serious conversation about moving on. So that that has been a constant and interesting discussion, especially the, when they first moved the extra points back, which by the way, has been a boon to the Norse code, uh, various uh, fantasy leagues. It's been fantastic to see more extra points missed. Fantastic uh, is certainly one word that exists in the English language. In the Norse code league, it's a 25 point penalty for a missed extra point, but in the hell league, it's 50. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> it's so bad. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Pretty sure I beat you in And Greg either. Joseph has been a central character this year. Um, no, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the, the extra point problem when they first moved it back, kickers were missing um, extra points, but not field goals. And they brought on like CBS and Fox brought on like kickers and were like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" And kickers were like, "Yeah, I don't know. They, they it seems like they should just make them, right? It seems like they should." Uh, just be able to make those kicks. I why would that be different? They didn't know, and they were professional kickers, right? Uh, and so um, I, I think that you know, if we exclude the first couple of seasons with the changed extra point, um, you do find that you get a little bit more predictive capacity in incorporating the missed extra points as missed thirty-plus yard field goals, but not a ton because there's no predictive capacity in missed field goals, right? It's just very oh, difficult sure. to use 
yeah, it's just very difficult to use the, the kicking data that we have to project future kicks unless you've got a very large sample size, which is typically larger than, than, than a season and a half. It's usually like two seasons. Uh, and so that's kind of the thing that we have to work with, and that's going to make it really difficult. Um, so 14 for 19, I believe, on, um, on, on extra points. Um, obviously, he's made every field goal under, under 50, like Luke said. Um, two things to kind of, or one thing to keep in mind with the with the missed fifty yarders, two of them were a really low trajectory, like this blocked missed fifty yarder that happened in this game. Normally, yeah. I just exclude blocked kicks from my um, analysis of a kicker missing. Like if there's two blocked kicks, that's just bad luck. But at least two of them were really low trajectory. In fact, this this one was blocked by a guy's face, right? Like he had his arms stretched out, and normally with a blocked field goal, it is the hand or the arm that hits it. But it's this guy's helmet, which can't have felt good, right? But uh, this guy's face mask blocked the kick. That's a pretty low trajectory. And normally, when you have a low trajectory kick, that is designed for 60-plus yard kicks. That's designed to get as much distance as possible. And you just kind of take the risk that it's going to get blocked. But for these 50-plus ones, which are still obviously long distance, I'm a little surprised that the trajectory is that low. I don't know if that's intentional or not. But it is something to kind of keep in mind. And that makes the blocked kicks more his fault than they usually would be. So um, I don't really know what's going on, but it does seem like he has a completely different process for 50-plus yard kicks, in which case that would explain why the 50-plus yard kicks are uniquely bad, um, which would say that you know inside 40, he's actually still quite a good kicker. That's, if that's the case, then the Vikings should stop being so confident in kicking 55-yarders, man. Like, it's a different kicking process, it seems yeah. like. So um, at that point, his good leg but bad kicking is a detriment to the team even though he's like frankly phenomenal on kickoffs right so it is kind of a weird situation to kind of to kind of be in but i i do think that that this is um i don't know if it's a conversation the viking should have but it's definitely something to kind of stew over as they they figure out kind of the the kicker issue yeah so i'll say this i think he earned the right to have the team's confidence in training camp and preseason. I think that he absolutely earned the right to have a long range for how long they're willing to go with him. And I think they need to adjust that now. Now, for the extra points, he is almost 100 extra points into his career. He's 88.7%. In the last three years, that would have ranked fourth last, second last, and third last amongst kickers. So, over now, a pretty good sample size of extra points. It's been a problem. Um, and I think that is almost as concerning. Yesterday, it played a huge factor. Like, those should have been nothing drives for Arizona at the end. But instead, they were mm -hmm. potential game-tying drives. Um, so that did play a big role in yesterday's game. And I think that at least I'm waving a red flag at, at some of these warning signs. spiritually this was a two-score game and that we shouldn't treat it like a one-score game? The Vikings actually... <laughs> <laughs> yeah one and a half score game totally one and, half, one and a half score game <laughs> um we're wrapping up here on the minnesota football party but we have to update our gambling from last week these were the ah. records we're getting a little better guys we didn't have anybody go over for a second week in a row luke inman who's out today goes two and oh with 450 on both of his bets, and I think he's leapfrogged Arif. Arif went I've, one I've and taught one, him well. lost I've some taught money him on the juice. Well. Yeah, our second straight player to go negative and then dig out of a hole with just whoppers of bets. 
Bron, you went one and one. Hey, Stunner, the Jaguars killed you. Just yeah. shocked that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my ill-advised bet on Heineke versus Ellinger went poorly, but I did hit on the Seahawks, so that was rewarding. Um, and I made a little money because the, my lower bet is the one that lost. So uh, we're all back in the black. We all are positive money. And we'll have the complete update on Thursday with our week nine picks. Um, we end the show every week, Alec, with our party fouls, which is the biggest faux pas that you observed all week, whether it be football, outside of football, whatever you want. Uh, we'll let you think about it. You can go last. We'll start with Arif Hassan, a.k.a. Luke Braun from hell. It's time to tell you who spilled their proverbial drink on the sofa. Get ready for this week's party foul. All right, so two of my party fouls thus far, or rather two of Arif's party fouls thus far, um, I am in the Arif box, so I might as well continue that tradition, have been about Brett Favre. Let's make it three. So Brett Favre apparently misappropriated welfare funds, again, but for a different reason this time, um, to to promote a cream intended to treat concussions. Uh, which is a sentence that should set off enormous alarm bells. This is nanobubble territory. <laughs> um, and uh, he even spoke about Dr. Oz cream. territory. Yeah, I mean, honestly, hey, hey, you, uh, you, you, you watch out. That guy could be a senator. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, uh, he spoke about it, it apparently in a Super Bowl press conference in February. Um, they received $2.2 million in Mississippi State welfare funds for the development of a uh, concussion cream. AJ Perez of Front Office Sports had reported it. There are some grisly details about the testing process and how many people were subject to improper testing procedures, how many animals were subject to improper testing procedures that I will spare this lighthearted podcast from, but it is truly horrifying. Anyway, I don't. you, you asked me to lead the party fouls. This is what you get. Yeah, thanks for that, Arif. Now we all feel miserable. Yeah. Uh, Luke Braun. Yeah, you got like some timeout issue or something to talk about? <laughs> uh, well, I can make everybody feel a little bit better by making fun of the Packers. Uh, Quay Walker loses a school on the sideline, pushes a staffer, an inactive player, someone? Um, unclear who he pushed on the sideline. I didn't catch it, but gets ejected from the game. Possible fine. In a game that was already going just so bad for the Green Bay Packers. That was already so hopeless. Now they needed, of all people, Eric Wilson to come in and fit the run. And I think we all know how that goes. We know we we don't need to watch. We we know how that turned out. Uh, come on, Quay Walker. Keep it together. <laughs> all right. Um, Got to take my headset off for a second. Oh, boy. Oh, it's serious. What? Oh, boy. What is... We got hey. a costume change? Nice. A costume change oh in the show. Killing it. Wow. This is incredible production value. Yeah. Quick change. So, Jared Allen was inducted into the Ring of Honor yesterday. And mm-hmm. my, my party foul is not that he rode in on a horse. That was amazing. That was the party right there. He rode in on a horse. Super cool. When Jared Allen gets inducted into the Ring of Honor, I want to hear from Jared Allen. 
let's roll out the red carpet, give him a microphone, wind him up, and let him go. I don't need to hear from Ben Lieber, Mark Wilf, and Ziggy Wilf. I don't. You've got a finite halftime show, probably about 12 minutes, maybe 10, once you've got the stage set up. You've got a super limited time. Don't give Jared Allen 60 seconds to give a speech. Let's give the guy five minutes a chance to tell a story or two or crack a joke so he can actually, like, relish the moment. You, you, you got to, when it's Jared Allen, give the guy the time that he needs. And that's my party foul. This is a very comfortable headband. All right. Do they have those in the press box, and you, or, or did you have to like steal one from a fan? So they get, yeah, they. It's funny that they did give them to all the press members as if like it's something <laughs> that the press would wear during the game. <laughs> but, I mean, that's how a lot of these hey, promotional products work, right? It's just like they don't think about how, how to execute. There you go. Yeah. The the best is um. So the twins, quick aside. So the twins would give out like the promotions to the press as well when they had them. But if there was like a bobblehead night, for instance, they would, if, if someone turned in a defective bobblehead, like it's broken, they would put that aside and give those to the press. So I was given like decapitated bobbleheads of <laughs> twins of twins. greats. Like, Oh, this one's missing a leg. Let's give it to the, to the press. So I've got like legless Max Kepler, headless Michael Kadire, um, it's just, that's super funny and like, uh, such a underhanded, like jab at, uh, Hey, we'll give you guys the broken ones. Anyway, Alec Lewis party foul. Yes. Yeah, Ted Lasso, uh, from, from, uh, Broncos country, <laughs> I'm from Broncos country. And I am so tired of that Russell Wilson over there. Even after he won a game playing okay, saying Broncos country, let's ride. We got to cut that out. Whatever we can do. <laughs> all right. Hey, the high knees he said it was worked. Over. He, he was all lathered up for the game. <laughs> I... <laughs> It's been a, it's been an interesting uh, watching that entire situation this year has been fascinating. There was a um, someone memed on Twitter like Russell Wilson standing in the aisle of an airplane, like just going Broncos country, let's ride. Like three <laughs> yeah, times in a row. It is, it's you see the video edit? Uh, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, I love yeah. it. I just like he said it after the game. I believe Kalara Rutledge and like he like winked at the camera. It's like, Come on, man. Like why? <laughs> He's becoming self-aware. Look out. Robo Russ <laughs> is coming to life. Uh, that was fun, guys. Happy Halloween to everyone. Enjoy your night. Enjoy your trick-or-treating, your parties, whatever you want to uh, – whatever you're partaking in. Oh, I forgot in. to bring a uh, costume we're... for the show. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> oh, I almost forgot. I can't believe I almost forgot. The, the candy draft. The poll is done. All right, these are the results. Team four, which was a reef, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, Crunch Bar, Peanut M&Ms, Gummy Bears, Warheads, Butterfingers, and Hershey's Cookies and Cream, puts him over the top. It was close. 37% of the vote, beating team one, which was Luke, Ron? Yeah, that was me. Twix? 
Snickers, yeah, Sour Patch Kids, Rolo. I got smoked. I mean, I got destroyed. I got 12% of the vote. And I'm always amazed because I pick candies that I like. That's clearly my undoing. I'm like, 100 grand? Reese's Pieces? Jelly Beans? Kit Kats? I love my team. I I embrace my He's team. Regular Dan Campbell over there. If I got, yeah, I'm going to cut the kneecaps off of these other teams with my candies. And I got greased. I absolutely got destroyed this year. So I'm going to have to alter my strategy for the Thanksgiving food draft, which is in three weeks. Um, Alec Lewis, thank you for joining us today. He's at Alec underscore Lewis on Twitter. Does a great job covering the Vikings for the athletic. Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network, Luke Braun, Lockdown Vikings, Lockdown Vikings postcast. I'm Sam Ekstrom. Check out uh, the Ron Johnson show, Pierre Garçon, joining him today for a really fun interview. And uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Luke Inman will be back in the saddle. We'll make our, our week nine bets and have plenty more fun on the Minnesota football party. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.